I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we explore those virtues and cultivate those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, welcome back for another episode, folks. So glad you've joined us once more. We are gonna take, uh, we're gonna take a little twist this week. We're gonna talk about music. You ever been at a ball game? You stand up for the national anthem at the beginning or maybe uh, the seventh inning stretch. Just like what that experience does for us spiritually, what it does for us physically, like what it does for us as human beings. Music is, music's important. So I'm really excited this week to, to welcome uh, a lover of music onto the program. Father Tony Klein is a priest of the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Father, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. Great to be here. Before we get into the topic, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. So I, um, as you mentioned, am a priest of this diocese here in Sioux Falls. Was born and raised here um, in Sioux Falls. Uh, graduated from O'Gorman High School in 2012 and then went to seminary right out of high school. So um, spent four years in college seminary in Minnesota and then four years of major seminary um, in Rome. And now I'm back at Holy Spirit Parish here in Sioux Falls. I'm just starting my second year here. And you're a lover of music. I'm a lover of music. I have no letters behind my name to uh, <laughs> say that I'm anything of a master in it. Um, but I grew up like playing piano. I grew up around music, my, especially my mom's family, you know, as a big Irish family. My grandma was a lover of music, um, played the organ, taught her kids how to play. And so we were around it from a young age. Um, and I mean, I studied it formally, I guess, in so far that I took piano lessons and then got more involved in choir and things like that in high school. Um, but never officially like studied it in so far as pursuing it as a major or anything like that in college. So you, when was this? You sang the gospel. Is it at Christmas time? Easter time? Um, it, I, maybe you'll remember when it was. I, I think I mentioned this to you after you sang it at mass. I had this experience of like being in another time or maybe um, more appropriately put being outside of time in just sort of the beauty of this song. What happened to me? <laughs> What beauty, this is part of it, right? Yeah. So tell us, tell us what, what this is, that this is part of our experience with music and beauty. Yeah. I think it was a wedding that you were at, uh, where I chanted the gospel. Okay. I think that's yeah. where I ran into you there. Um, and I think <clears throat> the church understands humanity very well and understands the importance of music and also like how we learn many things. I mean, I'm going into classrooms and asking what are the first five books of the Bible? And some of them know it because they learned a song about it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I'll go ask them what they had for lunch and they forget because they didn't have a song about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we learn the ABCs in songs, you know, yeah. there's something that music really does help us uh, experience the words, I think in a more unique way. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's, it's striking. And so the church, I think, understands that well, especially in how she prays. Um, now, there is a place for a spoken mass. There is a place for, you know, um, what well, I guess we would kind of call as like a low mass. But there is pretty much the opportunity um, or in the, in the missal <clears throat> to chant almost everything of the mass. And even like the readings um, can be chanted. Um, now, I also think it's important that we 
make a little distinction between, you know, music and music done well. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I'd rather hear something spoken than something sung or chanted poorly. Um, but I think what happened to you is that there was something like when you read a story in a newspaper or something like that, yeah. um, or hear it read to you, that's one thing. But when something is sung, it does like kind of make you drown out other things that are happening. Yeah. Kind of draw you in to what is being proclaimed here. Okay. I appreciate that you said that done well, because I, Bill, I was going to have him tee up this song to listen to at the start of our conversation. You know, South Dakota has a state anthem. It's called Hail South Dakota, 1943. I pulled it up on a couple different versions on YouTube and it, it, it impacted me and not in a good way. It was not well done. We like need, where's Dr. Osterman? And we need to like, we need a better version of this because uh, it, it wasn't particularly uh, great. But to your point, so what, this is something I wanted to mention that you've kind of alluded to. This is from the USCCB's Committee on Doctrine uh, 2020. They say hymns are among the most significant forces in shaping or misshaping the religious and theological sensibility of the faithful. What do you think about that? I wholeheartedly agree. Why is that? Why is that the case? We learn things we hear. And yeah. especially as children, we see that. Yeah. But in a way, I mean, not to be like cliche or anything, but we are children of God. And so we always are, in a way, remaining childlike, meaning we're always hopefully um, conforming to the truths that we hear. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Arianism was spread mainly through song. Really? Um, at least, yeah, I was talking to a friend recently. I said, you know, I'm having this interview coming up talking about the importance of music. Um, and he said, yeah, it was Arius had catchy songs. And maybe it wasn't Arius himself, but proponents then of Arianism that followed him. Yeah. Um, they had catchy songs that spread quickly. And so that's how you would you'd remember it and then you'd spread it and people would hear it. And because it's catchy, you know, you'd kind of stick to it and, and sing it. And you don't necessarily realize that you're like taking in those words, Yeah. but you are. Um, I mean, I look back now to songs that I listened to in high school and I knew every, like, I'm surprised that I remember a lot of the words. I can sing almost everything. And I'm like, wow, Yeah. I can't believe that I sang that or listened to that. Um, and it totally did like shape my mind, but I wasn't aware of what it was doing. So the, I want to throw this factoid in there just because I know we have a, a number of lawyers that listen to the show. But if, if there's, you know, in a lawsuit, they call it a complaint. You got count one, count two, count three, count four, all the different sort of bases for the legal claim. That comes from sort of the basis of sort of the English law, William the Conqueror, 1058. We got the French influence coming in. But count comes from chant. There was a real technical way of alleging these um, legal bases and they would actually, lawyers would, they would, they would literally chant them because there was such a technical way to do it. Chanting helped them remember it. So maybe it's neither here nor there, but legal trivia for the lawyers tuning in. I want to just step back, Father, to, to, to beauty because I think there's this myth, I think we can call it a myth, um, that's prevalent in the world today, that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So, you know, I had this experience you know, listening to the gospel that just sort of lifted me up. I had this experience of listening to our state anthem on YouTube that depressed me. <laughs> it was, you know, I, it was kind of like this emotional thing in both those instances, but are there ways in which we can truly discern and ascertain 
what is beautiful in music? Absolutely, I think. Um, and I was actually just recently reading a, a small little book called Beauty, What It Does and Why It Matters by um, a professor, I think, at Mount St. Mary's out in Maryland. Um, and he talks about two principles with all things beauty, so not just in music, but in any anything beauty or art that we would say, is there are two principles to keep in mind. One is order, and the other is surprise. So order gives us a certain, like, safety, if you will, like this goes well together. So if it's in a painting, you know, that there's a proper perspective or that the colors in a way, you know, represent something real. Um, but if we just have order with no surprise, uh, then we get very accustomed to it um, with really no like breaking in all, all the time of, of grace. But if we only have surprise, if we have no form, if we're formless in our art um, and there's no order at all, then we do get that. We get disorder. Um, and the importance of having both of them, I, I loved it. And then I was listening to, um, I don't remember what I was listening to, but a, a classical, I'm trying to learn a couple piano pieces um, right now, just kind of on the side to keep me sane. And so I've been listening to a few more classical songs on YouTube. And, you know, you can tell when you, like the, you can tell that the composer is kind of going somewhere. And then all of a sudden it'll, especially this happens like at the end of a piece with a suspension or something like that, where it's still in the same key. So, you know, say you're playing a G chord and you have a suspension at the end. So it's not um, the perfectly resolved chord, but it's still in the same key. That's very interesting. You know, if you play something out of key, yeah. it would sound bad. Yeah. Um, but you're staying in the same key. So there still is order. But yeah. then there is this aspect of surprise where you're like, oh, like this sounds nice. Um it still sounds good. It sounds like it's still within the order, but I wasn't expecting this. And it does kind of like break in. Um, and I think that's true with music. I think it's true with art. Um, you know, I, the one that comes to mind immediately would be like Caravaggio, who has very much a good grasp on the order, but then the surprise is always like this surprise light source. Where's the light coming from? You know, yeah. usually out of the picture somewhere, usually yeah. not seen. And so there's a bit of mystery that's still wrapped up in it, but it's not this chaos. It's not this thing that's totally outside of, of limits of, of order. And so I think in art very much now we're trying to, it, it's, it's kind of matching society, which is saying like, liberate me, get me away from these rules and these things. But the rules, the order protects a lot of things. It yeah. protects what has been passed down that we know is beautiful. Why we keep singing and hearing music from, you know, centuries of old, yeah. because there's still something that us in the 21st century uh, can relate with to yeah. it. Do you have any um, favorites in literature or examples from uh, from books in which music just jumps out at you or any particular stories that you think highlight an important truth about music and, and human nature? Um, you know, if we look at, I'm, I'm, I wish I was better at mythology than yeah. I am. <laughs> yeah. I've touched on it a little bit. Um, but our word music itself, you know, if we think of the Greek mythology of the muses, yeah. they were um, really, they were the sources of the knowledge that was embodied like in the poems or, so the muses were, you know, the the people, the goddesses um, that would proclaim the, the truths that like this poetry and lyrics, um, these myths would have within them. Um, and so we see that from, you know, ages old, that music has been important 
in, yeah, we see in literature and mythology and culture um, that we've also seen adopted then in the faith. So yeah. the Psalms, you yeah. know, uh, we have a whole collection of our own songs, Psalms, um, or even, you know, we have a lot of love songs today. Um, you flip to the radio, you hear all sorts of love songs. Uh, if you go to things in the Old Testament, you know, um, the Song of Solomon, like all, all sorts of, not necessarily like erotic, but like very much a love song, you know, yeah. uh, between a love, a lover and, um, you know, the one desiring to show their love too. And so I guess that's not like a, a current um, literary thing that you're asking about, but it, it is something very present yeah. throughout history. And then even, um, disclaimer, I have not read the Cimmerillion, I should, and I hate quoting things that I haven't totally read, um, but I am a fan of Tolkien. And even in his creation, the Cimmerillion, the backstory to the Lord of the Rings, um, creation happens in song, which, I mean, Tolkien knew humanity very well. Yeah. Um, why is that? I mean, why, what does music, what does song have to do with the creation of the cosmos? I'm struck by that too. And, uh. Disclaimer, I haven't finished it. It's kind of a hard <laughs> book to read, in all honesty. People are going to be turning us off yeah, now. There's I know. a bunch of, sorry, a bunch sorry, of fakers. Folks. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's not a call-in show, but you can email me if you've read the entire Cimmerillion and want to, you know, complain at me. Um, but I was really struck by that, too, just that um, the creator in this, in this creation myth that Tolkien writes sings, sings the universe into being. Um. Maybe a, a way to drive at that is through maybe a more kind of sterile philosophical question, which is, what is music? Do you have any any thoughts there? Um, I mean, I <laughs> not well uh, grounded or you know well rudiment. I, I I mean, they're very raw thoughts at this point. Yeah, sure. Um, I think if someone walked into your office and started speaking, yeah. That'd be very normal. It wouldn't really strike you. Yeah. Um, if someone walked into your office and just started singing, it draws a certain attention. Yeah. Uh, there's a certain focus that we have when you hear something, even if it's the same exact words being transmitted through the voice yeah. of singing. Um, and I, my, my philosophical, I guess, thought on the background of it, um, just knowing especially the history of the liturgy, um, knowing how much of it uh, was chanted and still is in some, you know, in certain rites yeah. um, or even a lot of monasteries that chant most of, I mean, all of the hours and then most of uh, the mass, that there is something very sacred in chanting in singing something and putting uh, a sort of tone to the words that are being said. And if we look at the liturgy as really like our, our reordering, our, our continual conformity to God, who is order itself. The most God is a God of order. We see in creation that chaos goes to order. Um, that when something is sung, so creation in the Cimmerillion, uh, there is this sort of calling back to order. It, it makes me think too of, okay, if that's the origin, it makes me think too of our ultimate destiny in heaven. Um, I can't help but wonder if maybe that's just part of our human attraction, you know, across all times and places. 
I guess I'm not aware of a human society that has not sung. Maybe in distant past there was one. Um, I don't. I don't know of one. But maybe that's part of why we're just so attracted to it. Is that's um, it's part of our origin story, but it's also just part of what we're made for in in heaven. Um, what do you think? Yeah, we do. Right before the Sanctus, the Holy Holy in Mass, we say, you know, may our voices join with theirs, talking about the angels in humble praise as we sing, as we acclaim. Um, that we there will be, you know, we call them the choirs of angels, and we we say, you know, that we will there there is song in heaven, of adoration of God. So I do think there is something that it, it points us to. Um, and I think, you know, in doing a lot of choir and uh, piano, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> and I think that's re- something that was always like reiterated by my teachers or our directors. The stuff in the middle matters a lot. Yeah. But everyone knows if something doesn't start right or yeah. end right, <laughs> you know, the last note is really important. Yeah. Um, and I think that maybe brings to this too, like it, there is a certain end of, uh, of, of humanity. You know, obviously our end is, is God to be with him. Um, but that, that ending point matters a lot and the notes in between, you know, they can flutter, they can kind of, you can have key change, whatever it is, but if it ends in harmony, uh, then you've made, then you've used it for what it's intended for. I think. Do, do you think we can say that, music is necessary for humans. Um, I think I would distinguish necessary. (laughs) Say more. Um, So I'm a little rusty, unfortunately, in my uh, Thomistic philosophy and theology at this point. But uh, he would, St. Thomas would distinguish uh, between two types of necessary. One, like absolutely necessary. Yeah. Um, So something that is absolutely necessary for us, you know, is... Um, well, God, um, whether or not we believe that he exists, that someone not believing him existing doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, so God, but, but I mean, even just like the necessities of life, of yeah. water, food, things Gotta like breathe. that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but then there's also like a necessity of fittingness. Yeah. Um, necessity of like the flourishing of life, the the best of life. And so a lot of times the question is like, you know, was it necessary that... Um, God chose Mary to be the mother of, of Jesus. And we would say, well, not in the absolutely necessary because God could do th- in an infinite number of ways in, in many ways, but the best, the necessity of fittingness, you know, it's the most yeah. fitting way. And so because God uh, desires and can do the best, then it is necessary in that sense. So I'd say for the true flourishing of the human being, for the goodness of the human being, I would say, Beauty itself um, is necessary, and an aspect of beauty is music. Mm. One of the ways that we can see this beauty manifest through music, we've talked a little bit about sacred music in the liturgy, um, in the prayer of the church, but we can also see beauty in music in um, common things, plain things, might call them f- folk songs. You know, that, I think that has a particular connotation with music of like 1970s and guitars. But I mean, in the sense of back to Tolkien, I mean, in the sense of sort of the hobbits with their, you know, these are their stories that are particular to them as hobbits that they that they sing. 
They're not particularly sacred, but they're theirs. Um, I, I guess I was struck in your just sharing your own a little bit of your own story about music of of just like your grandmother and sort of as a kid. Can you say a little bit more about why um, plain sorts of music, common sorts of music, can be important to forming us as human beings? And then we can maybe talk a little more if you want to about sacred music, but um, on a faith and politics show, I'm particularly, I'm just so, I'm a bit fascinated, I guess, by mm-hmm. the Hobbit and the, these common things. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, we're a, a bit deprived in our culture of like authentic folk songs. Yeah. Um, you know, if we look to, you know, different parts of where a lot of our ancestors came, either from Europe or um I mean, even if we look uh, here in the States with, you know, Native American tribes, their culture of music is so, I mean, the drums, like keeping a steady beat, um, which often I think has a certain backing in like the rhythm of life um, in general. Like that's kind of what the the drum keeps pounding and time keeps progressing. And unfortunately, I think our most common music um, arouses more towards the passions. Mm. Um, And the passions aren't, bad it's important to remember the passions you know are neutral and can be uh, can be used well or we can use them uh, you know for for ill but a lot of the other music um, in these in in cultures or folk songs either tell a story or try and portray something of truth and a truth that's not so much like you know I um, saw this person and I was really drawn to them and I started following them and fell in love or something like that. You know, that's, yeah. I guess, telling a story and might be true to that person's experience. Um, but it's not quite as like existential, you know, it doesn't quite grasp a greater understanding of other people's experiences. They might not be able to relate to that exact experience where, um, you know, yeah, I listened to what I would say was, um, pretty bad music growing up just mm. because that's what I was exposed to. And that's, you know, what, what got us excited before a sporting event or something like that. And I'm not here to say that music that like pumps us up is bad or anything like that. I don't, I don't think we have to listen to chant if we're lifting in the weight room or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I do think culturally for the formation of an authentic uh, culture, just humanly speaking, I mean, in a way leaving theology aside, there is something to songs that portray something about the human experience. Um, so one of my favorite author, one of my favorite artists uh, in college became Mumford and Sons, just because I felt like their music, not, I loved the sound, you know? So I was very much before, like I liked the beats and stuff like that. Um, and so I was able to still find that in Mumford and Mumford and Sons. Cause they have a great sound. They have, you know, great syncopation. They've got great, um, just kind of a full sound, a great, a great folk type sound too. Um, but it was the first time I really paid a lot of attention to words Mm. and it was the first time that I was able, so I did a lot of trips up to the cities and back because I was, um, going to seminary there. Sometimes I'd be driving through Southern Minnesota. Um, you know, the sun is setting over the beautiful, you know, cornfields or something like that. And I'd be listening to Mumford and Sons and I'd finish a song and I'd have the urge to just press the power button and turn it off Yeah. Um, at the end of a song. And it was the first time I really, like before it was always I had to listen to things on repeat if I really liked them yeah. or just move on to the next thing. 
But this, these songs led me into contemplation. Mm. And I think that's an important thing of music. Um, that music, two of the most important parts of a song are the beginning and the end, which both actually are silence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because you see the conductor get up before the orchestra um, and waits till everything is silent. Because then the contrast of the silence and then the noise does something. And then at the end, they end in silence before he takes his baton down. You know, it's not complete until the silence is there. And so I think a song that leads us into contemplation of what was this saying, what actually was said, but then also, um, what does this like do in me? Um, do I relate to an experience of this or something? And I remember, um, I think it's Lover of the Light by Mumford and Sons. I, I would listen to and turn it off and just think, you know, this is exactly St. Ignatius's rules of discernment that we're talking about in our spiritual conferences. You know, love was kind for a time, um, but now it just makes me blind. Like for a long time, I, and, I, and I search all these other things uh, and they don't make me happy. Um, and you see like, you know, it's, it's beautiful. I think it was transmitting with, maybe they don't even know it. Maybe Marcus Mumford and his sons or the, the whole group didn't know what they were doing. Um, but I think that's okay because they were pursuing truth. And yeah. I think they were, uh, emitting truth in their song. And so I think that's an important part to remember when we do go to music that does it lead us into contemplation or does it lead me into having to just press next? I think that's beautiful. Just this, and this sort of this leading one into contemplation draws my mind back to education and one of its goals. Um, we've talked on this program before about a classical education or a liberal education, it, it, educating the human person so that the human person can really be free. And in the, in the ancient mind, in the Catholic mind, a, a big part of this education is, is musical education. And so that truly, I mean, this experience that you've just described to me sounds like, oh my goodness, this is what a, what an experience that only a free human being can have actually. So what are some of the things, um, Father, if if we've got people out there who are who are listening and they're like, yeah, this is this is great. I actually wish that I was able to do this better. But Father, you've got like all this formation and and you've you've got this training in music. You know, for somebody who doesn't have like a strong background in music, but maybe they they like music. What are some simple things or, or even just like the next, what's like the next thing that somebody could do if they want to actually experience truth and beauty more completely through music? Any tips? <laughs> I think the first thing uh, is listen to the words, <laughs> pay attention to the words um, of the songs that we are taking in. And that can be for everything, for the the hymns we do sing at mass. It's so easy to get caught up in the just the the tones or the things like that to pay attention to the words. Um, but I would also, I would say, you know, ask <laughs> if, if you're looking for certain um, like artists to listen to, because I, yeah, I have a certain training in it, but I'm not producing this music that I'm listening to. You know, I'm, I'm taking it in as a listener. Um, I want you to hold that thought just a minute. We're coming up on the end of our, our radio time. So for our radio listeners, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of faith and politics. Hope you have a great week. Until next time, live well. And for those tuning in on the podcast, we're going to keep keep visiting for a few more minutes here. So what you were about to say, Father, finish your thought, please. Yeah, so um, 
I think what you pose is a good question. Like this problem seems too big for me. Yeah. You know, maybe I feel very small in it. Um, and I would say, yeah, when I started not listening to like the hip hop pop music of the day, it seemed like I was meeting people that were years into listening to what I would say, like rich, good music. Yeah. Um, and I felt very small and to not be afraid to just like make the first steps and you start to do, you, you do start to, um, you know, get to know certain artists that produce well. Um, I know I mentioned Mumford and Sons. I, I think Coldplay's old stuff, some of it is gold. I mean, some yeah. of it is really, really good. Um, Josh Garrels, um, there are some, you know, and, and the good th- one of the good things about like YouTube or Pandora or Spotify, things like that, is they'll say similar artists and yeah. you can kind of build a good repertoire. And I think one of the good things is that music is kind of its own education. Um, the more you do kind of pursue it, I think you you will start, if you're attentive to it, if it's not just merely something that's like, I do this while I drive or while I do another task, but if you're actually able to like enter into it in a way, um, rather than just having it be background noise, if you're attentive to it, then music does form form the mind and form how we how we think. What are you listening to these days? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to keep some Italian a little fresh, so I'm actually sure. listening to uh, some Italian music, nice. um, but. Honestly, if I knew all the words, I probably would stop listening to it. So maybe that's the goal. Learn enough of the words to say, okay, this is is not good. Um, I still do listen to Mumford & Sons. I like certain things of Zach Brown Band because I like country music, and, yeah. and they kind of have a good feel. Um, a friend just showed me recently a man by the name of, of Elliot Park, okay. um, who's got one one song, Soldier in the Oak, which brings me to like contemplate the cross because it's about mm. the wood of, of a tree and eventually holding bells over a cathedral. And um, so it's, yeah, there, there's such stories to be told in songs. So that, that's kind of a gist of what I'm listening to. Well, okay. This show is called Faith and Politics. Um, you know, I, I kind of got thinking about this topic just because we, you know, music is obviously um, for, for those, I mean, for Catholics, it's kind of obvious to us that music is really important to, to worshiping well. But I just got to thinking too about how music may be important to even just like the civic life of a people, and I and I and I want to say that in a way that like really honors the the full, um, like I don't mean to say the mere civic life of a people, because it's like part of our identity is kind of like where we're from and who we live with, and like I I am a South Dakotan, you know, like that's it's part of who I am. Do you think that, okay, our really bad South Dakota anthem notwithstanding, um, do you think that, how do I put this question? Do you think that the music actually does have the potential to like um, heal, unify, um, capture identity? I mean, what is its meaning uh, in, what are the temp- temporal sphere, if you will, hmm. for for a body of people, not just for like an individual, but for a body. Yeah. So if you think of like our national anthem as a country and interesting that, yeah, every country, you know, at the Olympics, you don't hear a spoken national anthem. I don't think that's a good point. Um, Yeah. They're all sung. They're all put to song. Um, That it is something that unite can unite a people. And I would say that, um, you know, there's a, you said earlier, the what you say is a myth of beauty is in the eye of the beholder and i would say yeah beauty is is powerful and can transform but only can <laughs> yeah. because 
people, individuals, and individuals make up a society, um, can resist. And so I think if people are not, if an individual is not open to a beauty of music or, or like real, authentic, good music, yeah. um, then it's not, I mean, society is going to feed off of, unfortunately, in a capitalistic society on what sells. Yeah. And I think most of the thing that, things that sell now are not um, great influences um, mm. of, on the mind. Um, I do think it has the potential. We see that because it, it does it does form it. But I think it really does depend on what the consumers are consuming and wanting to consume. And um, yeah, there's people could say, you know, the music industry is so big, we can't change that. And you're right. I mean, this is something that the music industry has a moral obligation, I would say, to produce good music. Um, but I would also say that the listeners have a moral obligation to take in good music. Yeah. And the music industry is not going to change um, unless it's society, um, unless the people, the individuals in society that feed it um, do change. And I think with like the Pandora kind of like small scale artists kind of being known, um, I think there has been a great outlet of good musicians who don't want to like just become the mainstream, you know, four chords kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that there is a real great artistic nature to a lot of, I mean, you can find so many, I think, good musicians out there uh, yeah. because of it, but you can also find, find, there are a lot more in general, so it's maybe still harder to sift through and find. Well, let's end maybe a bit where we started, which was you sharing a little bit about your family. Um, we talk about the church teaches families, the, the basic cell of society. So if, if music does have a role in, sort of society writ large. Can you share a few words on on how music might be, might have a place in our family lives? And, and maybe, you know, if it hasn't had a place in our family lives for some of us, how it, how it might get a place. Any thoughts? I think the thoughts are mainly just from my experience, and I'd, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts um, as a son in a very musical family and then as a father in a family where I imagine you guys are doing a lot of music things, um, that we would, you know, when we would say our prayers before going to bed, mm. we would sing a couple of them. And, you know, we learned some of our prayers through song. Um, but a very, <laughs> one, one story um, is that, you know, if we had people over, we had a bigger dinner, we had more dishes to do, and the kids were on dishes duty, as I think is right and just. And my oldest sister and I, it seems like would usually be stuck doing the dishes because my other sister, who is now a religious sister, so she got out of it. <laughs> well, they do more dishes now, probably. She would say, I'm on entertainment. And she would go into the next room and start playing the piano. Ah. And I don't ever remember my other sister and I complaining. You know, it was never like, oh, she's yeah. getting out of it. Because... Music, having music in the house while we were, you know, doing something remedial of washing dishes, something necessary, actually provided for us um, not just like an entertainment, but it provided something of like, wow, this this is beautiful. Like, and now I remember that experience. I don't remember other times of um, doing dishes or cleaning up after this or that, but I remember that specifically. Like, music added to this made this beautiful and memorable. Mm. Awesome, I love it. Um, okay. My own experience. So I'm, you know, my siblings, mm -hmm. um, I'm the non-musical one and that's maybe a bit of a cop out. I just didn't pursue it in the same way that they, they, they all did. 
um, all of my four siblings are, are marvelous piano players and, and wonderful singers. And um, I regret that I uh, didn't pursue that in the same way. And I, I can't play the piano. Um, and I, now I try to sing and I do it, you know, poorly and not beautifully, but um, what I lack in beauty, I try and make up for in, um, in vigor. Um, but I guess my own family life now are, you know, it is an important part of our family life for Hannah and I. Um, our two older kids are in this after-school music program that is run out of the cathedral building um, by an independent nonprofit, but they do a beautiful job. They teach kids music. They t- every kid learns, learns the violin. Um, our kids are in piano and, and they, they're just learning to love music. It's actually really um, cool to see them grow in that way. But, you know, kind of the day-to-day with our family life, you know, we, singing is part of our prayer before, before bed. Um, sometimes we sing before supper, like it's part of our prayer uh, to bless to bless the supper meal. And um, yeah, Hannah and I have a conviction that um, any home that we live in will have a fireplace and a piano. So mm. um, not that I can play it, but I can start the fire and somebody else play the <laughs> piano. So um, it's hard, you know. And I don't, I don't even have like a ready way to put a finger on why it's so good. But it's just like one of those simple, basic things that um, Hannah and I both perceive to be true. That this is this is good. Um, and now our so our oldest is nine, and she's kind of getting to the point now where she'll walk past the piano, and she'll sit down, and oh, I gotta I gotta tap out this tune. It's stuck in my head. I gotta, and it's just like there's music kind of just like bursting out of mm. people. It's good. I love it. It's 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 awesome. So. Um, well, great, great conversation. So grateful, uh, Father Klein, for you taking the, taking the time to come in and talk about music. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, dear listeners, as always, for tuning in. Great that you were with us for this conversation uh, about music, what it can do for us. If we've got any musical people out there and we want to record a better version of our state anthem, let me know. You can reach out sdcatholicconference.org. Click contact uh, contact us, and uh, yeah, you can go to YouTube and take a listen. You'll know what I'm talking about. I think we can do this a little bit better. So don't hesitate to reach out. And until next time, live well. Mm-hmm.